My name is Jeremy. And uh, if you walked out in the foyer just in the last few minutes, there's wet footprints out there. The world doesn't understand that. But that represents our hope and faith in Jesus. So praise God for that. Today's scripture is from chapter 4 in John. It says, And Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing them more than John. Although Jesus' disciples were baptizing, not Jesus himself. Therefore, he left Judea and went back to Galilee. Jesus had to go to Samaria. He came to the Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down in the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to drink water. And Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask someone to drink? From me, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and say who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you will be asking him, and he will give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw again. Jesus said to her, Go get your husband and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. And you are right to say, Jesus said, You are right to say, I don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And the Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. Just then, Jesus' disciples arrived and were shocked that he was talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? The woman put down her water jug and went into the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done. Could this be the Christ? They left the city and were on their way to see Jesus. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, uh, since we had a college, college basketball weekend and uh, Monday, I'll just uh, go in the words of John Wooden, since we're a little later on time, I'm going to be quick but not hurry, uh, was one of his famous quotes. Uh, so let me walk through this uh, with you this morning, and if I choose to step over one or two things in your notes, just know in the interest of time uh, this morning. Uh, like I said just a while ago, if, uh, if the Lord's still working on you, we'll stop the sermon right away if you just say, I'm ready to be baptized, I'm ready to surrender my life, and we'll just walk over here and do it. Praise team doesn't have to be on stage for all that to happen. 
and you just let me know, all right? So be good. Hey, let's just jump right into this passage this morning, chapter 4, and we're going to see an example from Jesus, but we're also going to see a continuation of this invitation Jesus is inviting people to, and it is new life. You've got to understand this. Jesus is not inviting people to say a prayer at one moment and then say, well, I'm good to go the rest of my life, you know? And that Jesus says, that's how Christianity worked. You had this one kind of emotional time where it all made sense, and you said yes to Jesus, and then you did nothing with it after that. That's not what Jesus is inviting people into. Jesus is inviting people into new life, something totally different. Jesus actually has kind of this audacity to think that the way you're living life outside of walking with God won't offer what life in him will actually offer. And so that's what he's inviting people to. We've seen it week after week, and we're in week eight of this series now in John. He's going to offer this invitation to this lady as well, but also he gives us an example. Do you know why? Listen, you and I are called as Christians, if that's what you are, to offer the same new life to other people. We've got to be the ones that do, that do it right? It's not billboards. It's not going to be flashy movies. I know there's a lot of Christian movies. They're not going to get it done. It's you and I that share Jesus and share this new life with others. So we got an example here to follow, and we're going to kind of focus on that part of it since we've been talking about the invitation. So let's just jump right into it. Verse 1, it says, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing more than John. Now, here's what's going on. If you take a look at this map real quick, the circle on the left, that is about where Jesus has been. He was in Jerusalem, and now if you look at the right side of that flat circle, that's right over at the Jordan River. That's where he was baptizing, where his disciples were baptizing in his name, right there. Jesus is gaining in popularity, more than even John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was in a lot of trouble with the religious leaders. They didn't think very highly of him. So all the more with Jesus. Also, like we just studied, Jesus had just flipped over tables in the temple, not very well liked by the religious leaders at this point, and his following is growing. And so it was time for him to return to Galilee, or because of this, it was very dangerous for him to be in Judea because that's where the Pharisees operated. That's where the religious leaders operated. And so Jesus was going to head back to Galilee, which is the purple up top, which is where his home. You see the circle on the right. Normally, the route was right up the river to get there, up to the left. Now, if you were in Jerusalem, the left side of the flattened circle on the left, well, you would take straight up to the purple. Through the green would be the most direct route to go. Jewish people did not do that because they hated Samaritans. So they would go over to the river, up the river, and then to the left into Galilee if they were going that direction. Jesus could have gone either way here. He could go up the river and over, or he could go uh, kind of over and up through Samaria. He chooses to go through Samaria. Why? Because of what we just wrote, read. He was gaining in popularity. This was a time where there was, it was a little bit dangerous to be Jesus. It was dangerous for Jesus's followers, those people who are coming to be baptized as well. And so Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. Why? Religious leaders didn't go into Samaria. They hated Samaritans. They didn't get along at all. So their Jewish leaders didn't go up there at all, the Jewish religious leaders. And besides, Samaria, they had their own 
religious leaders. They didn't need the Jewish religious leaders. They had their own. So that sets the context of Jesus going through Samaria. And while he's going through Samaria, here's what we learn. He has this interaction, this conversation with this lady at the well. Here's what I want you to know overall. Jesus leverages every opportunity to offer new life. Jesus is constantly looking for opportunities where he can offer new life to people. New life. It's constant. With the disciples, some of them, he walked right up to them and said, hey, follow me. And they're like, okay. And they followed him. With Nicodemus that we learned before, Nicodemus came with questions to ask. And Jesus shared at nighttime. And here we get another time. But Jesus always leverages opportunities. Listen, today, if you don't know Jesus, Jesus is trying to leverage this opportunity today that you're in church for you to know Jesus, for you to experience new life. He's always, always doing that with circumstances in our life. Take a look at this one. Uh, verse 6, we learned at the end of verse 6 that it was about noontime when Jesus sat down on this journey. And then right after this, this lady comes to, get, to take water, to draw water from the well that Jesus was sitting next to. We fly past those things. What do we learn? Well, it was noon. You don't normally go at noon to draw the water. You need water for the whole day. So you would go in the morning. It was likely hot, hotter than in the morning. So not the time you'd normally go. She came alone. You would never go alone. One, it wasn't safe. It offered no community as well. And so she was all alone at midday coming to the water. That tells us something about her. Likely a, an outcast. Likely disconnected from community, which likely meant the same as what we talked about it down in Judea. She was probably disconnected as well with the religious community or deemed unclean in their view as well. And so she was alone coming. I could almost see Jesus going, huh, well, this is interesting when she came walking up, thinking that way because he leverages every opportunity. So what does he do? What does Jesus do during this time? Let's just take a look at it in your sermon notes, what we can learn and the example we can follow. Here's the first thing, happens right away. Jesus opens the door through conversation. He opens this door through conversation. Take a look at it. He says in verse seven, give me some water to drink. Just simply this, hey, could I trouble you for some water in this well? Now, it's not uncommon here to ask for a drink of water, especially if you're kind of the foreigner here. And so Jesus does. But what he is doing is he's opening up a conversation with this lady. Now, she responds, why do you, a Jewish man, talk to me, a Samaritan woman? Translation, she's saying, you're talking to me? You're, this is strange, you're talking to me? Because culturally, it just didn't quite fit that this man would be talking to this woman in this location. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Here's the first thing we need to know by example of Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to talk to people. If you have any hope of somebody knowing Jesus, you got to talk to people. You have to open up conversations and talk to people so that doors open up that you can share Jesus with them. Everybody's looking for community. Nobody wants to go to the well by themselves at noon. Everybody wants to connect. 
And your conversation might be the thing that does it. Listen, there's been times, even in our church, where I might have said to somebody, hey, uh, so-and-so, I think they're new today. Do you mind going up and just connecting with them, you know, during the service, greeting time, or activity or something, whatever. And, like, literally, I've kind of sat back, and I've watched as it doesn't happen, as we've stayed connected with our own little comfortable circle. How do we draw people into community that way? If Jesus had just followed the cultural norms, he would have just stayed to himself and not said a word to this woman. He would have just waited it out till the disciples got back with food and water, and he could have had it then. But Jesus speaks. And I think that's the first challenge, the first example for us to speak, to open up conversations. I know some of you are thinking it right now. I'm not really wired that way. That's hard for me. It's a little uncomfortable for me. And I get it. And you wouldn't probably be lying. It's probably true for a lot of people. But thank goodness we have the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things that don't come natural, that don't come easily for us, to help us do something that's even outside of ourselves. Did you know this? You may not know this. Every one of those personality tests I've ever taken, all the way back to in the entrance exams for college, introvert. Every single one of them for me, introvert. Still this day, introvert, right? And I thought in college or seminary, I was a little worried. I'm like, how do I, how do, I do ministry? I, I want to be a youth pastor. Aren't you supposed to be upfront and kind of goofy and lively and all this kind of stuff? The Pied Piper where youth are like, yeah, I want to be around that. You know, how am I going to do this? Two things the Lord told me. One, he said, look, I don't need you to be something that you're not. But then he said, I need you to let my Holy Spirit transform you into what I need you to be. And he has. And there's still times today where I'm in certain uh, atmospheres or certain uh, settings where I'm like, I, I feel that come back. I feel that there. And it's okay because God's not calling me to do anything. But there's lots of times where he is. And the phrase that stuck with me years ago was this, Tom, if you're going to be a minister, assume the role. Meaning that if the Holy Spirit is leading you and says you can do it, assume that role and go do it. And you just watch, power along the way will come, and you'll be empowered to do it. For you, that may just be walking across the room and shaking a hand and saying, hey, I don't think I know you, I'm Tom, or whatever it may be. Or it may not be in this setting. Or in addition to this setting, it might be at your work. You might live next to neighbors that you don't know after years and years. Open up a conversation. You think it was awkward for Jesus? Let me give you three quick things, right? Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other, right? There was this cultural thought that you didn't talk to one another, right? A rabbi is talking to a woman. Most Jewish rabbis did not have female followers. Females did not become disciples of religious leaders. And so often, they didn't talk to women, period. Jesus is talking. And then a Jew receiving water from Jacob's well. That was a big no-no, too. That was, that was, there was a religious tie to this well as well from its, its origin. And so for them, they would just say, Listen, I can go down to the city and buy water that's been brought from the well. That's one thing. 
but for me to receive from directly from the well here, that's a totally different thing as well. None of this bothered Jesus. None of this stopped him. He still ventured into conversation. And often for us, we're uncomfortable. We remain uncomfortable simply because we don't do it. We just don't step out and do it. Open a door through conversation. That would be the first. Second thing we learn from Jesus here is he finds the opening in the, inter- in the interaction. What is the opening there? Jesus says the water, and she says uh, to him, why do you ask me for a drink of water? And Jesus responds, if you recognize God's gift and who's saying to you, give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. Kind of a reversal there. If you recognize who you're talking to, you wouldn't be worried about them asking you for a drink. You would be asking them for water, and they would give you living water. Now, I know what you're doing because we're 2,000 years on the other side, and we know the Bible. We're like, we really spiritualize that. Living water, that's all, living water in Jesus Christ. And you'd be right, but that's not what she heard. What she understood was living water. Do you know what that is? Flowing water, a stream, a river flowing water. That was better water to drink than well water for them. Better water than stagnant water, living water, moving water. And Jesus saying, I would give you this living water, this moving water. Jesus is moving in, finding the opening to taking something which is just literal water, talking about well, we're talking about a drink, into talking about the spiritual as well, the spiritual. We do it all the time, right? Every time you say, I'm really hungry for, you don't always, you don't always, or you're not always talking about food, right? Sometimes you're saying, man, I am really hungry for, you know, I don't know, for me, a round of golf, you know, or I'm really, uh, you know, whatever. We use those type of phrases all the time that we don't necessarily mean those things. We move and talk that way. And Jesus is just moving that direction, talking spiritually, this flowing water. And what Jesus is saying to her And what you need to hear this morning is that Jesus offers something better than you can get on your own. If you recognize who was talking to you, you would be asking him for something, and he'd give it to you because you'd recognize he would have something better than you can get. Living water would be better than your well water. You'd be asking him. And the same is true today, that Jesus offers something better. When we put all of our hope and trust, Jesus actually, I mean, he believes that what he would offer you is better than what you can put your hope and trust in. Better than even your basketball team winning last night, if it did, right? Better to put your hope and trust in Jesus. Have you ever seen a stadium fanatical in celebration about Jesus like we see in basketball games? And I hoot and holler just the same for my team, right? Not nearly as often. And yet Jesus steps into our context the same way and says, if you knew, if you knew who you were talking to, boy, you would ask of him and he would give you something better than you've even tried to obtain for yourself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough for yourself? that you want to be a follower of Jesus and to ask him for that living water? Do you believe it enough that you're willing to tell somebody else about it? Or do you just hoard that to yourself? 
Jesus is offering this to this lady. And I think she's picking up on it. Then he starts to speak directly into the need, into her life. He says, go get your husband, right? Seems like a little abrupt change in the conversation, right? Maybe he wanted to talk to them both. Maybe he didn't want to repeat himself, right? Who knows? He knew what he was doing. Go get your husband. What does she say? I don't have a husband. You know, as if she was saying, I don't have a husband. End of that conversation, right? Let's move on. And Jesus says, not quite the end. You've had five husbands, and the person you're living with right now is not your husband, right? Jesus is speaking into it and saying, look, you have grabbed something that you hoped would bring life, but it didn't. Then you went to another, it didn't, it didn't, it did you five times, and you're trying it again, even without marriage this time. You're striving for something, and Jesus said, like, could you bring that? Because I think Jesus would actually say, if, you were, if she had literally brought that person, like Jesus could say, what I have to offer and this, you know, let's, we don't have that actually play out, of course. It's interesting, I learned this week as I was researching this, and I, I got, are you a tangent person? You know, you click one button, you get down the, ra- yeah, I, I get down the rabbit hole. 92% of first-time marriages, so we're talking about our younger folks, usually, 92% now are living together before they get married. The divorce rate is almost 60% among those. That baffled me, that the 8% that aren't the divorce rate is down in the 20s. Now, you can talk to a sociologist or so or a psychologist to know why that all plans out that way. I just really believe following God's plan has something to do with it. Jesus is speaking into that. That's not the point of this sermon, but I thought an interesting thing to see how God's plan actually plays out. She switches gears, doesn't she? She says, sir, I see you're a prophet in verse 19. Now, I've heard this preached many times, and often uh, I've heard them say, well, Silica, she changed the subject. She wanted to get off that, right? When he's speaking into her and convicting her, he, she wants to get off that. Whew, could we just talk about, say, hey, I hear your prophet changed the subject. Or, hey, you, you, know, you want to have lunch now? Or, you know, trying to get off the subject. It would make sense. We do that all the time, don't you? Do you do that? I do that, right? No problem. Especially when somebody wants something out of me and I don't want to do that. You know, I try to change a subject before we ever get to them asking me for that. I don't think that's what's happening here. Look at how it plays out here. She says, sir, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. She's saying, look, I'm a little confused. There's a temple here that we use, I've been using my whole life, but you guys have a temple down in Jerusalem that you say that's the way. But everyone I've ever lived with and grew up with says this is the way, which is right. I think it's a genuine seeking question, a genuine question that she wants an answer for. Who is this lady? She's at noon. She's alone. She's got no community that builds into her to ask this. She's likely not part of the religious system. She's likely been put out, deemed unclean in that system as well. She's alone. She's an outcast. Who would she go to if she was seeking? Who would she go to if she wanted to know something about God or about correct worship or where to worship? Well, it's not her own community or what used to be her community if it was. 
But Jesus opens up a conversation. Jesus then looks for the opportunity to, in the interaction to speak into it. And now Jesus is speaking into her need, and she understands this is someone I can ask a question. This is somebody I can actually be vulnerable to and ask this seeking question in my life. That's what I see is happening here. And it challenges me. I hope it challenges you. Do you open up conversations? Do you look for those avenues? Do you speak with people where they say, I can be open to this person and I can share where I'm at in life, what I'm thinking, what my hardships, what I even think about God, these type of things. This is a safe place for me to share or for me to ask questions. And it opens up this door to this dialogue. Jesus responds uh, here. He says this thing about worshiping in spirit and truth. Before that, he says, look, there's coming a day where this temple, irrelevant. This temple over there, irrelevant. None of these temples will matter. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you can, you can pull together the last 20 sermons you've heard on spirit and truth. They'll be all over the map on what the interpretation is. You and I, our job is to be contextual. That's what we've been in this series. So let's just look and understand. The Jewish temple, Judean worship, was all about correct liturgy or correct belief system. Have your liturgy down correct. Have your belief system down correct. That's why the Pharisees were the protectors of the law, because they had to keep it all together and straight. And so truth was what they were known for. They were called truth. That was their worship. But the Samaritans, totally different. They didn't have the law the same way that they drew to, or at least they didn't lean on it the same way. They didn't even have a group of religious leaders that were tasked to be protectors of the law. It was worship through the Spirit, free expression. That was kind of what they were after. And so both of these, we think of today, we want to have the correct belief system. We want to believe the correct things about Jesus and about God but we want the Spirit to have access in our life to send us and lead us. And these two things work together. And Jesus, that's all he's saying here. That's how we're going to worship. It won't be about a location. Just get yourself in the temple and you're going to be fine. No, it'll be about what you believe, who you follow. Are you following the right person in Jesus? And do you allow the Spirit to lead and guide in your life? fully. Finally, we find that Jesus points the way to salvation. This woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll teach us everything. Well, I guess we'll never know, is what she says. This temple, that temple, spirit, truth, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. And Jesus, and she says, but, but when the Messiah comes, he'll teach us these things. We'll know these things, Right? What does Jesus say? Verse 26, I am the one who speaks with you. I am. I am. Seeing it all the way back to, to Moses, who should I say? Remember when Moses, who should I say when I go to Pharaoh is sending you? And, and God says, you will say, I am. And they understood, whether they were Samaritan or Jewish, they understood, I am. I am signified God. And so when Jesus now says, I am the one who speaks with you, he is speaking to a connection with the Father, 
which he understands he would be saying, I'm that Messiah. I have come now to teach you all these things. That's powerful that Jesus is saying. He's pointing the way of salvation to himself, to Jesus. And listen, we need to hear this. If Jesus is salvation, listen, then speak Jesus. You gotta speak Jesus to people. Tell them about Jesus. Like when somebody says something, don't, don't respond with, well, just, you know, just try harder. Just stay after it. Don't say, well, everything will just, you know, work out. It'll work out. Don't even just say, well, I'll pray for you. And then you move on with your day. Speak Jesus. Tell them Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did to me when I was really hurting Listen, I was seeking, you know my story, I was seeking just the same as a teenager. Some of you might be 17 in this room. I was seeking just the same. Does this higher power have any purpose in my life? It seems so distant. It seems so illogical. Would it have any significance to me? You know what Jesus decided to speak into me? He spoke into that realm of logic and understanding and told me, see how these things fit so perfectly? And I was like, Wow, I do see that. That was a big part of me coming to know Jesus. Listen, if Jesus is salvation, speak Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them what he has to offer. Don't give the world some cheap philosophies that float around. They may be true. Try harder at something. It may be. But it's not the way of salvation. Jesus is that way. Here's a takeaway. Here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. The Easter season is such where the door swings wide open. People talk a bit more about Jesus, about the things of the cross, about resurrection. In fact, maybe this afternoon you'll go into Harris Teeter or your local grocery store and you'll start to see like magazine covers on your ch- at the checkout lines. You know how the magazines, not as many as there used to be, but magazines there. One of them at least, probably more than one, We'll have a picture of Jesus on the cover, and it'll have some title like, was the resurrection real? Was it all a hoax? Or something like that. Because this is the time of year people talk about these things a bit more. But it also means their hearts can be open to knowing Jesus. And us, you and I, following the example of Jesus in this story would be a powerful way for somebody in your life to come to know Jesus a coworker that you could never foresee, a family member you've been living with your whole life and you've almost given up hope, right? Anyone. And this, here's what I want you to do. Here's the action step. You've got five blanks in your, your outline this morning. My challenge is to write five names of people that don't know Jesus in your life, people that you have interaction with. Don't go write down some celebrities that you're never gonna see. You know, you just see their movies and stuff. Um, for this exercise... We're going to write down five names that you know, people in your life, family members, coworkers, people you do your hobby with, parents of your kids' baseball team, whatever. Write down five names. This is a season to start praying for these names. This is a season God can touch people's heart. And here's what you're going to do. The three things at the bottom. First thing, pray daily. Pray daily for your list. Pray every single day. Every single day. Lord, would you just touch Tony's heart today? Lord, would you just open his heart to know you today? Use me. 
Simple. Every day, pray for your list. How long does praying for five people take? Well, the Lord, the Holy Spirit could get you going. Maybe it could take a real long time, right? But from a logistical standpoint, you can pray in just a couple minutes for all five every day. Second thing is converse weekly with your list. Every week, intentionally open up a door to have conversation with your list. Sometimes that's natural. You bump into them at work. You see them wherever. But sometimes you got to be more intentional. You have to pick up the phone and call. Hey, just checking in, see how things are going. Converse weekly with your list. And because it's Easter time, the third one, invite your list to Easter. This is a time where people's hearts are more open to saying yes to coming to church with you on Easter Sunday. Here's what I promise to do on Easter is to, is to teach a straightforward presentation of the gospel and new life in Christ and what it has to offer. If you've been a longtime Christian, you're tracking every day. I think the Lord will touch you. He has a way of doing that in any message. But my focus would be on the people on your list that you're praying for. And that's how I'll be writing that message. Well, let's, let's submit this to prayer. And you go before the Lord as I pray for you. Father, thank you for your example here. Thank you, Lord, that you are, you are showing us and teaching us new life that you have to offer and that John over and over speaks of. Now, Lord, would you call us not to be spectators, but to be participants in others knowing this new life as well. I know you're calling us. I know you're leading us. I know you're prompting us, which really leads it down to, would you make us be obedient to you in this, that we might see fruit, even small fruit, and be energized by what you can do through us, that we would then be transformed to find the joy in doing it all the time. We pray in your son's name. Amen.